So this bus driver drives straight into a forest and crashes into a tree and everybody dies. He's taken to custody. And the uh, investigator asks this bus driver, what were you thinking? Why did you drive straight into a tree? So he said, because there was a cow right in front of me on the road. So why not just run over the cow? I wanted to, but then the cow ran into the forest. <laughs> there are uh, a lot of things that we are conditioned to thinking about a certain way, and then it doesn't matter what happens, just because we're used to thinking about things a certain way, we, we, we gravitate to that thought process, and then we never like, are able to, to see it differently, because like, certain times, sometimes it's like a groove in your brain that when A happens, then B goes, and then C, and you can't like, look at it objectively, because you've gotten used to a certain pattern. Just, you just follow that, that, that route. I don't know how it never dawned on me, but the Talmud says when the month of Av enters, it's supposed to decrease in joy. So, so it always hits me as, it's a sad month, it's a sad month, right? That's, a, that's, that's my first reaction to those words. I never thought about it, really. The Talmud is saying something very fundamental here, not just for the month of Av. Talmud is saying, you know what? Jews have to always be happy. There always has to be simcha. There always has to be joy. Even in the month of Av, where there are a lot of halachas, a lot of laws about how we decrease in joy, we don't listen to music, and we don't take a haircut, and we don't um, so have weddings uh, during these nine days. But the Talmud is not saying that you shouldn't have any joy. The Talmud is saying, on the contrary, the Talmud said you have to have simcha, you have to have joy, but you should have less joy. But the Talmud is also saying, you have to, it's oxygen, joy is oxygen. So the month of Av also has to have joy, justice less. You ever thought about that way? I never thought about that way. It just, just, just hit me just a few days ago. Um, there's a similar, more powerful concept that the Rebbe said, uh, quoting other Hasidic masters. They said like this, when the month of Av enters, we have to decrease in all the calamities that have happened in the month of Av. We have to stop all the negative things that have happened in this month. How do we lessen all these calamities? By adding in Simcha, by adding in joy. And that's why uh, during this month, we have, uh, for the first 15 days of the month, we have a uh, celebration in shul every day. Someone's finishing another book of Gemara. It's not just like a ploy to like, oh, let's find a way to be happy. It's more like the month of Av is actually a time when Mashiach will come, will be the time of the greatest simcha, greatest joy, greater than all the other holidays. And therefore, as Mashiach approaches, the Rebbe says we should try to find ways to reveal the inner joy, the inner happiness that's, that's in this time. But let's talk about something um, maybe more easier to, uh, more palatable. Well, I shouldn't say more palatable. I should say less palatable, but more easily to understand. And that is, why is it, what's that we're still in, what's, what's gained by being in exile? What's the point of the exile in the first place? Or let's ask us on a personal level, what's the point of Hashem putting a person in a situation where there is no light, they don't see light in their life, they don't see... Hashem's light. They don't see Hashem's, Hashem's presence. Why does Hashem place a person in that kind of scenario? What, what's the point of that? So, there's actually halacha. Halacha is that the day before the ninth of Av, you don't say tachnun. Usually, on a holiday, we don't say the confessionary prayers. But the day before the ninth of Av, you also omit the confessionary prayers. And the question is, it's not, it's not a happy day, it's the day we say 
uh, Kinos, we, we say all the lamentations about the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. We recount events that are make, make your hair raise on on its end. It's incre- incredible tragedies that we talk about and we fast. And yet the Talmud says the day before the ninth of Av, the Mincha, the afternoon prayer before the ninth of Av, you should omit the confessionary prayers like you do on a holiday. More, it says on ninth of Av itself, don't say the confessionary prayers. On Shabbos, we don't say the confessionary prayers. On Pesach, on Shavuos, on Sukkot, on the holidays, we don't say the confessionary prayers. But why on the ninth of Av, which is such a sad day, it seems, why do we not say the confessionary prayers? The confessionary prayers are, days, are, are prayers which are introspective. You tell Hashem that you're sorry for doing A, B, and C. So on holidays, it's not appropriate. But why in the ninth of Av, which seems to be so sad, why do we skip those confessionary prayers? So the Talmud says, because it's called in the Torah, in Eichan, in, in Elementations, the Torah calls it a holiday. The Torah calls it a moed. It doesn't really answer the question. The question just gets transferred to the Book of Ecclesiastes, uh, book of Lamentations. Why is it called a holiday? Okay, we don't say the uh, confessionary prayers because it's called a holiday. So don't call it a holiday. What's the meaning of it being a holiday and therefore we don't say confessionary prayers? You get the question? If it's a holiday, so you don't say confessionary prayers. But it doesn't seem to be a, such a holiday. It seems to be a, a day that we fast and days that when tragedies have happened. So what's the meaning of us skipping this confessionary prayer as if we're pretending it's a happy day when it doesn't seem to be a happy day? So we'll understand this by looking at the end of the tractate Makos. The story, a famous story, uh, you've heard, I'm sure, many times before, but there's a lot of nuances in the story. You'll see that, that there's 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 the depth over here the story which which beyond what meets the eye. The Talmud says that Rabbi Akiva was walking together with uh, four other sages, and they got to a place called Sofim, a place from where from there you could see the the temple. But that, at that time, the temple had already been destroyed, and they the sages seeing the temples, the place of the temple's destruction, they began to cry. And Rabbi Kiva began to laugh. Because they saw a fox? Ah, right. They saw a fox running across the Temple Mount in the same place of the Holy of Holies, and they were crying. And they said to Rabbi Kiva, Why are you laughing? Rabbi Kiva said, Why are you crying? And they said to him, We're crying because this is the holiest place in the world, the most special place in the world, and now... Foxes are going in this place where the only the Kohen Gadol could go once a year. Of course we're crying. Why are you laughing? So Akiva said that there were two prophets. There was Uriah and there was Zechariah. And they both gave these incredible prophecies. One very negative and one was very positive. Zechariah spoke about how the temple will be destroyed and Zion will become like a plowed field. Zion will become like a plowed field. And the prophet Uriah said that Mashiach will come, uh, men and women will go in the streets of Yerushalayim and they will sing, and there'll be joy, there'll be happiness again in the streets of Jerusalem. Shabbat Kiva said, the prophecy of the coming of Mashiach, I didn't know um, if it would be fulfilled until I saw the other prophecy be fulfilled. When I saw the other prophecy be fulfilled, then I knew this prophecy would also be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. That's what Rebbe said. So the other sages 
said, the Talmud says they said in this language, the Talmud is very precise, it says they said in this language, Akiva, you have comforted us, Akiva, you have comforted us. That's the story in the Talmud. Now you look at the story, it's, 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 uh, it has some message on the, on the face value, Akiva is very positive, they're looking at the future, but if you look at it a little deeper, there's a couple of questions that, that, uh, that, re- that come to your head immediately. Why is he laughing? He's laughing, I mean, because he he believes in the future, but right now the temple isn't yet built. The temple has been destroyed. The temple is, is, dist- is, there are foxes running around the temple mount. Why is there laughter? Number two, um, he's asking them why they're crying, like they, they don't, they, as if, as if like he doesn't understand. And also, um, it sounds like they didn't believe, like he believed they didn't believe. Like, why didn't they believe? They're, they're the sages of Israel. They didn't believe. In, and and Rabbi Kiva also, Rabbi Kiva also sounds like he didn't believe. He says, I didn't know what was going to happen until the other prophecy happened. What's going on over here? They don't believe. He doesn't believe. When the, when the first prophecy happens, then he believes in the second prophecy. What's going on over here? So the emphasis really over here, the key to the whole puzzle is the, is the words of the prophet of Zechariah. He said, Zion will become like a plowed field. What's the meaning of the word a plowed field? What, what does plowing do? You, why do you plow? You plow a field to prepare the field to plant in that field. You, when you plow the field, there's, there are those who are familiar with agriculture can tell you that when you plow the field, there's, there's some stones which you, they, you, you they get thinner through the process of plowing. The, the soil gets, gets more porous and the, the water can reach different parts of the soil. The, the 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 weeds are taken out, and therefore it's easier for the plants that are planted there to grow. So plowing the field does a lot to prepare for great um, for the seeds to take root and to and to blossom, to grow and to become and and for trees to grow. So the Rebekiva was really saying was that there's a connection between the destruction and the rebuilding of the base Amigdash. He wasn't just saying that there will one day be the rebuilding of the base Amigdash. That we knew without Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva was saying that the process of the destruction itself was part of the rebuilding of the base Amigdash. It wasn't just there was first a destruction and later Hashem will bring the coming of Mashiach. He was saying something else. He was saying that the destruction itself is part of the process of building the third base Amigdash. There um, was a Chabad center that was being uh, built in this in this town, the Shleach was saying that when when the when they when they started to to uh, lay the foundation, people came and they and they kissed the stones. They're so excited, they put up a wall and kissed the wall. They're so excited. Their their center, their Chabad house, their shul is going to be built. They were so excited by, by a wedding. Chassan Kala come to the chuppah and people, good friends of the Chassan Kala, they they come and they 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 want to hold the poles of the chuppah. And they want to, uh, and their faces, you know, are shining, and they're laughing, and they're happy, and they're and they're so happy to build the place where the chasan and kala to be there to be part of it, they, to 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 create that space where the chasan and kala get married, to to be part of 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 creating something beautiful. Everyone is like very happy to be, to be a part of it. So the, there's they don't have to encourage the friends to go over there to kiss the chassan and kiss the kala. They, they, they want to be there. They, it, it, it's 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 a beautiful thing. So Rabbi Kiva was telling us something over here. He was saying to us that when things stop you from 
being where you want to be in life and you feel like you're stuck and you can't go forward, Rabbi Kiva was telling us that that is exactly where Hashem is building your coming of Mashiach. Just like the coming of Mashiach for all of us is through the destruction of the Beis Amikdash, that's how it happens. Um, there's even a halacha. Halacha is that you're not allowed to destroy your shul. It's forbidden. You're not allowed to destroy even one stone of your shul. And it says about the Beis Amikdash that the, the um, Nebuchadnezzar and his armies, they couldn't really, really do anything to the Beis Amikdash. The one who lit the fire was God. And the question is, how could God light the fire? And the answer is, God keeps his own Torah. If God says, we can't light the fire and destroy the base of Mikdash, destroy the temple, how could he? And the answer is, because the purpose of the destruction of the base of Mikdash was really to remodel it, to make an everlasting third base of Mikdash that would never be destroyed again. So in the moment of the destruction, what is the, that moment really? It's a moment of plowing. It's a moment that's part and parcel of the rebuilding. So Rekiva really had a very deep soul, and he's able to see far beneath the veneer of, of the physical reality. And he sees, in the moment of the destruction of the Vesemikdash, he sees something else entirely going on. He sees how this is really about the, the coming of, of the third Vesemikdash, how the, com, the coming of Mashiach. So imagine on ourselves, when we, we're in a situation where we feel like we can't go any further, and we can't get out of the situation. Imagine if you felt that, that Hashem was telling you, where you are right now is where you need to be right now because right now, Mashiach is coming for you. This is a place of Mashiach. I was, I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday. I, I can't really say the details because it's uh, too, 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 too personal. His story is too personal. But the moment in his life where everything was going wrong, everything was getting destroyed, was actually like the... Uh, hello? That, that really was the, the best, like he could see it. He could see how that was a moment that, that, uh, that opened up all the doors for him in his life. That really, like, his life is really wonderful. It was those moments where he was like, oh, why is this happening to me? This, everything's ruining it. He was crying. I remember crying with him. These terrible things were happening. And, and, and those moments, it turned out, those were what built, planted the seeds for the future for him. And, and this is really how it is in everything. In, in um, high school, in mathematics, um, you know, I don't know how you were in high school. When I was in high school, at one point, there was, actually, even in the eighth grade, the back of the math book, all the answers, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, you get no points for getting the answers right. In fact, you got the answers wrong, but the teacher saw how you did it, you got points. That, that, why is that? Because the point isn't really getting to the conclusion. The point is the journey on the way. And that's what Rebbe was telling the sages. He was telling them, this is part of the journey. This is part of it. That's where Mashiach is coming. Mashiach is not coming in the future. Mashiach is coming where you are here right now, in, what, in, in that part which you can't stand. You want it to change. Rebbe so was telling us, look forward towards the future. Look for a way out, because this is your moment. This is a moment of rebuilding. There's a... Um, uh, Pasuk we say every day, several times a day, love Hashem with all your heart. And the Sifri says, your heart should not be at an argument with Hashem. That's what he says. Your heart should be, not be an argument with Hashem. You should love Hashem with all your heart. The words of the Sifri are, your heart should not be at an argument with Hamakam. Hamakam is usually a word that Talmud uses to describe God, but there are other words to describe God. Hashem. The word hamakam is very specific. You're in a situation. You're in that place that you hate being in. 
You're with a person that you don't like being with. You're with your own um, deficiencies, your own lack of talent that you feel you're missing and you want things to change in yourself. And you have the scenario that you don't like, the place you don't like, the things you don't like, and everything is exactly the way you don't like it. It's that space you don't like. So the meaning of loving Hashem with all your heart means that you say, you know, Hashem put me here where I am right now in this specific spot because this is the spot of Geulah. This is the spot of Mashiach. This is the spot of redemption. Here, not the next one that you want to get to. When are you going to get to? That, 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 that will happen too. But that's not how Mashiach comes. Mashiach comes in the place of, of, of the exile. Mashiach comes in the place where which gets plowed. In 2016, in the Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, there was a 5,000-meter um, race between the um, Olympics, and there were two runners, the women's race, uh, one from New Zealand, one from America. The race began, they bumped into each other, and they both fell on the ground. So they get back up, and they start running again, and the woman from New Zealand, I think it was, she again falls down. And the action of the woman from America falls down. The woman from New Zealand, instead of, you know, <laughs> imagine preparing for the Olympics, you know, her whole life is to be at this moment in the Olympics. And she turns around and she forgets about the Olympics. She forgets about everything else. And she goes and she gives this lady a hand. This lady couldn't go. And she says, let's continue together. Let's go. Let's, let's finish this race. And they walk together. They couldn't run. They walked together. She needed help. Got a wheelchair eventually, but they walked and, and, and the judges had enough, uh, to, to let them uh, join the the, uh, the finals, it wasn't something that they were really earned officially, but but they they, they could see beneath the uh, the surface of this point that it's not always about the bottom line, the end result. It's 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 the end result is built by by the journey towards the end result. Th- this will help us understand something else. The Rambam says the Mashiach will come all the days of. The calamities that have happened to Jewish people, the calamity of Tzema Haravi, Tzema Hamishi, Tzema Asiri, the calamities that happened with the death of, of Gedalia and the, the 10th of Tavis when the Jerusalem was under siege, and the 17th of Tammuz when the walls of Jerusalem were broken, and the 9th of Av when the temple was destroyed. All those days, the Ramam says, not when Mashiach will come, they will no longer be days of sadness. Instead, the Ramam says, they will be days of great joy. Now, it makes sense there won't be days of sadness anymore because nothing to be sad about. The temple was destroyed. Now the temple is no longer destroyed. But why will they be the days of joy? Why would they be especially happy? Why are they happy days? They're not sad days anymore because we're not missing those things that those days brought about. But why are they especially happy days? The answer is, is that there are two different kinds of, of comfort. You could, someone, God forbid, their house gets burned down. So... They, they have insurance, and the house is rebuilt, and the house is even better than the house had, the house had before, but they still had that moment where they were upset. They still had that moment where they were grieving over their lost house. They still didn't have... They, they, there was a time when they were missing something. It wasn't like, like everything was always good. There, there, was a time of, there was a time of calamity. The meaning of, of the destruction of the Beis Hamidosh being compared to plowing a field means that this moment itself of destruction is part of the building of the Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, when Mashiach will come, we're going to see how the calamities themselves are part of the building, they're part of the Geula. There's a, there's a, there's a passage in the Talmud. The Talmud says, Mashiach will come, 
all the sacrifices will cease. We won't have any more sacrifices. There's only one sacrifice that we'll, we'll continue to have. Which sacrifice? The sacrifice of the carbon toida, the, uh, the thanks offering. Now, the thanks offering is an offering you bring when you survive something, when someone survives an illness, when someone survives a car crash, when someone survives a sea journey, when someone survives prison, they bring the thanks offering. When you survive a calamity, you bring the thanks offering. Mashiach will come, there won't be any calamities to, to survive anymore. There won't be any, anything threatening us anymore. So why will we have to bring this thanks offering? And the answer is, we're going to bring the thanks offering, Mashiach will come, for the exile. We're going to thank Hashem for all the different things that happened to us during the exile. We'll realize then, Mashiach will come, how, how this is... To build a beautiful house takes work. The more beautiful, the more extravagant, the more detailed, the more amazing the house is, the more work that's needed. Can you imagine... We're working this whole gullus, the entire thousands of years, all over the world with mitzvahs and teira. It's to create something that, that we can't imagine how beautiful it will be. And so, so Mashiach will come, of course those days that of these calamities will become yam teivim, because we'll see how those days themselves were, were the, the, the beginning of the everlasting goodness and sweetness of the coming Mashiach. There was, um, unfortunately, uh, during... The um, a few months ago in Lagbeimer, when uh, all those Yidin and Miron Chlonalsan passed away, one of them um, is actually a relative, a friend of mine. His name is Menachem Zegbach, and uh, he um, he was visited by this. Uh, his family was visited after he passed away by uh, a, a Torah a scribe. Someone writes Torah to Mezuzas. He visits the family. And uh, they tell him, and they tell everyone visiting the house, that their son, who had passed him, Menachem, was 16 years old. Um, they tell him that uh, Menachem, when he, he would always make sure, whenever he said the, the grace after meals, the Berchus Amaz and the benching, he'd always wouldn't just say it, he would say it from a, from a siddur. He would say it from a, from a, from a siddur. And by the way, uh, it's a good thing to do for many reasons, among them, the Rebbe said that that's a, a school for Parnassah. It's a good way to bring blessing for your finances is to use a siddur when you say the, the grace after meals. So this, uh, this uh, sofer, this Torah scribe, yes, go ahead. Can it be a phone that has the words? Or it has to be a... mean reading it or necessarily from a siddur or reading it instead of both I think I think reading it is, is good. I think reading it from a siddur is even better than reading it from the phone. Um, Although uh, I shouldn't speak because I'm very guilty of reading from my phone all the time, but I think reading from Siddur is, is very is much better. There, there is a beautiful pasuk in the Megillah. It says that Omer Masefer which means that the Megillah recounts how uh, when they came to the king, the king said that all the bad thoughts that the Haman had for the Jewish people should go back upon Haman, and he and his children were hung. So. The Rebbe once said that Omer Masefer. The Megillah says he said it with a book. The king who said it, he, he inscribed it in, in his come before the king. Say, speak to him with a sefer, with a book. And then all the negative thoughts, whatever thoughts you have in your head, you're looking at the sefer. It helps to concentrate. It helps you to, to think about Hashem. But uh, yes, a, a, I think a, a phone would would definitely uh, be uh, uh, almost as good as a a a, a uh, Okay, so. So this so this um, sofa this he comes home and he wants to say the after blessing he wants to eat but he has no siddur what should he do 
So he's looking through his house, he's rummaging through his attic, trying to find a sitter. He wants hungry, and he, he doesn't want to go out and try to go, you know, borrow a sitter. It's late at night, he just wants to eat. But he made his decision, he's not going to, to, say, to eat, without, eat without saying the after blessing from a sitter. What should he do? So he um, finally finds this beautiful um, this writing of, um, of um, someone had written the Birchas Amazin, the benching, in, in Ksav Ashur, it's the same letters that are written to, to, used to write a Sefer Torah, someone had written this beautiful Ksav, this beautiful writing of the, of the, of the after blessing. He wrote the whole benching in the, uh, in, the, in the same kind of script that we use to write a Sefer Torah. She's very impressed with the script and gets a phone call. Gets a phone call and someone w- was interested in him writing a Torah. Okay, he goes to, show, and he said, can we see some, a sample? He shows them the sample and uh, I guess it's an Israeli kind of thing to say, but they said to him, we like your writing, but the finish, missing in your finish. That's like, that's like the worst kind of thing to say. It's like, you know, someone said, you're almost good enough. <laughs> Anyways, he goes home, he, lo- he does not get that job. Anyways, he goes, looks again at that, at, at, at that, at that venture, that, 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 and he says, this is such a beautiful writing. He, and, he, and he spends three hours trying to copy this writing. He copies this writing for three hours working on this beautiful, beautiful writing. And then he gets another call the next morning. There was a, um, many, many people that want to write a Torah in memory of every person that passed away in Miron. And they called him, they asked him, if you could also write a Torah in memory of one of those people who passed away. And yeah, they call him up and, it, it, can you write a Torah in honor of Menachem Zeglach? That boy that, that, who had always prayed, benching with the Siddur, that that boy was the one that uh, he was designated not by any uh, not because of the family was someone else designated him. We need to write a Torah in memory of this boy. So the meaning of 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 a joke of laughter of of of, of uh, humor is when you see something that's unexpected. You see something which 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 is a good joke is when there's an unexpected line like. An example I gave, said before the joke I said before about the the the, the bus running the the the, uh, the cow running in the forest. It's, it's, it's unexpected. That's why that's why it's funny. The, um, the in a similar way, Hashem also in life it, it says Hashem uh, guides the world towards the time of laughter. Mashiach is called a time of everlasting laughter. It says Mashiach will come. We won't stop laughing. Our mouth will be full of laughter. What's this laughter about? We won't just be able to stop laughing. Doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, like get laughing so hard that we're going to lose our breath. It, it, it means we'll be so happy, but it doesn't say we'll just we'll be happy. It says we'll be laughing. What's the, the idea of laughing is that we're going to see something unexpected in all those different tragic things that happened to us in the exile. We're going to see all those things that we thought were so horrible. We're going to see how they were, such, they were so good. They were so wonderful. Eli Wiesel, the famous um, Nobel, Nobel uh, uh, Prize winner, uh, was once in an audience with Rebbe, and uh, Rebbe asked him if he needs any blessings. And he told the Rebbe, doesn't need any blessings, the conversation continued. And then he, see, he had his change of heart, and he said to Rebbe, I, I, there is something I want you to bless me with. I want you to bless him to be able to cry. After Buchenwald, after he lost his father, and all the different tragedies he had seen in, in, in Buchenwald and the, the Holocaust, he, many Holocaust survivors are not able to cry because 
the grief is so extreme that that is they're not able to 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 bring it into their heart, which is it's just too much, and it doesn't make it any better; it makes it worse. It just it, there's there's there are uncried tears that leave this this emptiness and this 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 uh, this brokenness that can never they, they can never they can never come to themselves. So you ask the Rebbe for a blessing to be able to cry. What did the Rebbe said? Before we, before we go into the Rebbe's answer, well, I, I, I just want to say one more point to, 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 un, to understand what the Rebbe said to him. Rabbi Akiva, with his depth and seeing the scenario of the destruction of the Beis Amigdash as part of the rebuilding of the Beis Amigdash, he opened horizons for the sages. And that's why they said to him twice, you have comforted us. And they didn't just say it once. Being comforted once means that you lost something, and now you've regained what you lost before, but you're, you still have that experience of the negativity that you lost in the first place. They said you, you comforted us twice. Akiva, you have comforted us. Akiva, you have comforted us twice. Why? Because he revealed to them how even the moments of destruction are also part of the rebuilding of the base of though also part of the, the good moments too. There's... Um, you're all familiar with the uh, how post-it notes were created. There was this gentleman who was trying to create this really strong loop, and he couldn't, um, it, and, it, and it didn't work. And there was a guy working at this factory who also was part of an orchestra. And this guy who was part of the orchestra. He always he was a, a the conductor, and he would always uh, uh, leave notes on the instruments of all the people in his orchestra. Uh, you should. This note should be stronger. You should play this better, and, and you at least always leave them notes. And when in the factory this glue didn't work, he said, oh, "Let me try something with that glue." And he used that glue to make notes for the people in his orchestra to, for for their instruments, and that became the the multi million dollar company Post-it Notes. So it was the same exact moment. It wasn't that first there was something that was lost, and something else was gained. It was the thing itself that was lost that really was a greater gain than had it been that original glue that they wanted it to be. I think they wanted to use it for, for, for aircraft um, parts. Anyways, that's, what did I tell Eli Wazel? I told Eli Wazel, it's not enough for you to learn how to cry. I want to bless you, you should be able to sing. It's not enough for you to be able to cry, for you to be able to process the destruction and to be able to move away from it. Debbie wanted him to be able to also to sing, that he should, something should be rebuilt from the experience itself. There should be a song created out of it. And actually, Eli Wiesel, many, many years later, he made this uh, full-page article in the New York Times headed with the words, um, I believe. And in that, in that uh, article, he wrote um, how... He wrote a song, and the song he wrote, how in the temple, after the, te- the, the sacrifices are offered, he says, there are ashes. And from those ashes, we have to be able to create a temple. In other words, from the, the moments of the destruction itself, that's where, that's where Mashiach comes from. So he was, he was the Rebbe's blessing was fulfilled in him. The Rebbe said, not, I don't just want to bless you to be able to cry. I want, you have to, it's not enough, you also have to be able to sing. As as a Kotzke Rebbe said, it says, in, it says in the Talmud, if someone says, I tried and I haven't been successful, don't believe them. If someone said, I haven't tried and I was successful, don't believe them either. If someone said, I've tried and I was successful, then believe them. 
Kotzkarebbe said, what does that mean? Sometimes you, you, you try, you're not successful. Kotzkarebbe says, whenever you try, you discover something. Maybe you don't get the thing that you wanted, but there's something else that's discovered, something else that changes. And you, in your effort itself, that you looked and you tried for something, there's something that journey itself, that's something that's created by your effort. So as we are in these, um, these, these, this time of, um, of, we're waiting for Mashiach to come. Mashiach hasn't yet, yet, yet arrived. There's something Hashem wants us to do. Hashem wants us to open the horizons in ourselves and look at different things in our life that we say that, that, uh, you know, it has to be different. It can't be this way. And, and, and embrace them and realize that the Abishter that Hashem puts us in these scenarios and, and, and to, okay, I'm going to ruin this with a story because uh, it's hard for it to understand, but it's hard, it's hard to understand life as well. I, I think I shared this story with you before. Uh, there was a boy who was studying in my great grandfather's class, Rabbi Saul Nevler. And in those days in Russia, um, it was very common to sell things in the black market because you couldn't, you couldn't really survive any other way. So this boy was taking some glass cups to sell in the black market. His parents gave him, gave him these glass cups, and he takes them to the black market. And on the way, he's carrying the cups, and he drops a cup. So the boy starts crying because a cup means a piece of bread. You know, a few cupcakes, a few pennies. So his, his, his teacher sees the boy crying. He says, pick up another cup. He says, okay. Now throw it in the ground. He says, well, you know, one cup is a piece of bread. Two cups are two pieces. What are you, dude, what, what are you saying? He says, take that cup and throw it. And, and he was very imposing person. Like you said, like he, he, he couldn't like refuse him. He's his teacher. Okay, so, you, so one of his students, I met him when he was in his mid-90s. He remembered this story. He told me the story. He, he explained it to me. He said he, what he wanted, him, he wanted to happen to this boy, this boy's heart should be broader. He should be able to open his horizons. He shouldn't be so caught up in this scenario. Look, only look at it one way. That's the meaning of Rebbe Kiva's laughter. He didn't just know what was going to happen. Something else was going to happen in the future. He was able to, to, to live with that now. He was able to, to see the inside of what was going on. Okay, one last thing. I'll let you guys go. It says, it says in the, when Hashem appeared to Moshe Rabbeinu at the burning bush, it says that Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, Shalna Take your shoes off your feet, because the place you are standing is holy. Right? Remember these words? Say the Hasidic masters, the word na'alecha, the word shoes, comes from the same root as the word lock. Why do we get flustered and, and, and not know where we, what we're supposed to do, where we are? We don't know. So we feel locked, we feel, we feel stuck. Hashem told Meish Rabbeinu, you see a burning bush, the meaning of the burning bushes, you see people which are struggling. A thorn bush. Take the lock off your feet. Don't feel the place you're in is, is a place you're confined to. That is the holy place. That's the place of the Beis HaMikdash. That's where Mashiach comes from. The place that you're in. You're not locked in that place. You're sent to that place. That's the place you're supposed to be to make it happen. So Hashem should help us. We should be able to re-examine the moments that we, and the places and the things that we think are not the way they're supposed to, and to find the uh, Hashem's mission in those, in those things, and we shouldn't need to. Hashem should lessen all the Lamas of Stadium in our own lives, and the of Mamish. Today, Mamish, we should come to Yishalayim Rakedesh, Mashiach Tzakeinu, and sing Yishalayim, not just, not just be able to, it says Mashiach will come, we'll cry, but not only we're going to cry, Mashiach will come, we're also going to, to, to sing the tenth song. Uh, that said, the tenth song is going to be a song just similar to Niet Niet Nikavo, the song of There's Nothing Besides Hashem. L'chaim.